And welcome to another episode of A Bit Spursy. I'm Dan, and I am joined again by uh, the wonderful guest that we had last week, uh, Jackson. Hello, and uh, thank you for having me back again. Um, I, I, I hear that uh, A Bit Spursy is having a few, you know, selection crises now, um, as is similar with Tottenham. So it's nice to be nice to be in the mix of names that are getting thrown around. You know, definitely. Look, you you had a really <laughs> solid performance coming on for the debut yeah. last week. Uh, yeah. The coach liked what he saw, and was like, you know what. Jackson's getting another run this week. Yeah, better better self reflection than like say like uh, Deli Alley, for example, yeah. who's sort of taken to social media just like whipping himself. Yeah, <laughs> we haven't seen that from Barney yet, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. But Barney's look, Barney's going to have to work to get back in the starting lineup uh, when he's oh, absolutely. ready. Absolutely. Um, so look at and look, Barney is uh, he's still in thesis mode. Uh, mm. He's still he's still got a little little bit of work to do there. Um, uh, which is a very sort of stressful time for him and made all the more stressful by watching Spurs games as well. So, um, yeah, he'll be, he'll be back soon enough. Yes. Um, but look, we've had a lot happened this week. Um, firstly, something we should probably just touch on would be uh, the sad passing of Jimmy Greaves, uh, Spurs legend. Um, now, I personally, I haven't seen a lot of Jimmy Greaves apart from sort of the highlights that most people have seen, which consists of like five or ten goals or something like Hmm. Um, I'm sure there must be longer highlights sort of floating around somewhere. So we thought it would be nice to kick things off uh, with a few words from Dad about Jimmy. Jimmy Greaves was my boyhood hero, as I expect he was for all Spurs fans growing up in the 60s. He was the essence of why young boys and girls are attracted to the game of football in the first place. Watching his movement off the ball, the anticipation when he received the ball, the edge of your seat excitement, the roar of the crowd, the sound of wooden rattles, the flair, the genius, the magical moments, the exhilarating goals, the celebrations, the chance, the song. There's only one Jimmy Greaves. Unfortunately, playing in the 1960s means scarce video footage of Jimmy and what there is tends to be poor quality in black and white. But just take a look at the goal he scored in the 5-1 home win versus Manchester United during October 1965 to understand the genius of Jimmy Greaves. Changing direction so well. Oh, beautiful football. What a great goal. Fabulous goal. His awareness of play around him, his superb close control with both feet, his low centre of gravity, his change of pace, his acceleration and change of direction, ghosting past defenders as if they weren't there in a devastating run his immaculate finishing, his caressing of the ball into an open net as though to tease the opposition and prolong the agony of conceding a goal. Yes, poetry in slow motion. Jimmy would say, to score, 
It doesn't have to hit the back of the net, but it has to go completely across the line. Jimmy was also a cunning poacher, a fox in the box, with devastating two touches to control the ball and dispatch it over the line before opponents could react. He was also economical, which I believe cost him a prolonged England career once tactics and fitness started to take precedence over skill and genius. He would say to Bill Nicholson, do you want me to track back to our penalty area or score you four goals? And Nick was worried about something. He called me in the office. He said, Jimmy Greaves has done nothing today and he scored four goals. And I said, well, what do you want him to do? Do you want him to run all over the place and not score any? And Bill said, no, nah, you know that's not what I mean. And I said, yeah, I know what you mean. I said, you want him to score four goals and to give an impression that he's been working all afternoon. He said, but that's not the way it is with Jimmy. You know, he gets four goals, that's an afternoon's work. Forwards are judged on goals and there's been nobody that could touch him. For Spurs, 266 goals in 321 appearances. Goals per game ratio, 70%. Overall, in the first division, including his Chelsea and West Ham appearances, 357 goals in 516 games at a 69% ratio. In comparison, Alan Shearer, 283 goals in 559 games, a mere 51% goal ratio and far fewer goals in more games. Jimmy Greaves' record still stands 50 years after he retired. Even more astonishing is that he played in an era where for several months of the season, pitches became mud baths. Strikers were not protected from violent career-ending tackles, balls were heavy, and boot technology had hardly developed. All things that worked in a defender's favour. Jimmy had been a teenage prodigy at Chelsea before he moved to AC Milan at the start of the 1961-62 season. For Chelsea, he made his debut age 17 and had scored 100 league goals by the age of 20. This is still a record. While he scored nine goals in 14 games in Serie A, he soon realised that he wouldn't be able to settle into football life in Italy. Bill Nicholson, wanting to strengthen and evolve the 60-61 double team, stepped in and signed him for Spurs. It was a match made in heaven. Spurs from the 50s had pioneered push and run, skillful, attacking football, and Greaves provided the icing on the cake, the missing part of the jigsaw, the genius goal-scoring machine, and the perfect twin striker partner for Bobby Smith, and later Alan Gilzine. Jimmy Greaves made his debut at home versus Blackpool on the 16th of December 1961. Spurs won 5-2 and yes, Jimmy scored a hat-trick. Despite Jimmy scoring 21 goals in 22 league appearances, for the remainder of that season Spurs could not quite catch up Ipswich to retain the title and finished four points adrift in third. We did retain the FA Cup by beating Burnley 3-1 with the first goal scored after three minutes by Jimmy. At the same time, Spurs were very unlucky to lose a European Cup semi-final on aggregate 4-3 to Benfica. Over the two legs, Jimmy Greaves twice and Bobby Smith once scored goals that were controversially and inexplicably ruled offside. One year later, Jimmy scored two goals in the 5-1 thrashing of Atletico Madrid to win the 1962-63 Cup Winners' Cup 
and in doing so Spurs became the first British side to win a major European trophy. And Jimmy won a second FA Cup winner's medal when Spurs beat Chelsea 2-1 at the end of the 66-67 season. For England, Jimmy scored 44 goals in 57 appearances with a goals per game ratio of 77%. Compare this to the top England goal scorer of all time Wayne Rooney, 53 goals including seven penalties in 120 appearances. Jimmy was very unlucky when England won the World Cup in 1966. An injury put him out of the team for the quarterfinals and opened up the opportunity for Jeff Hurst, who remained in the team for the final. There were no subs in those days. It was a bitter disappointment without grudges being held. After much lobbying, he was awarded a winner's medal in 2009. Jimmy's nine-year love affair with Spurs came to an end in 1970 when Bill Nicholson decided he was surplus and he became a make-weight in the transfer of Martin Peters from West Ham. An exit scenario should have been handled much better by Spurs. I think it could have been done a lot better. I didn't want to go. I'd never asked for a transfer. I'd, I'd never put in for a move. I'd never once intimated to Bill that I wanted to leave the club. I just wanted a... a sort of find my form, do my rally, and then come back the following season uh, and start afresh. And I feel I still had a lot to offer Tottenham. I had nothing to offer West Ham. My, my life, my, my, my heart was still at, at White Hart Lane, really. He played for one season at West Ham and, of course, scored on debut. Ten minutes of the match gone and Jimmy Greaves has done it again. As a person, Jimmy Greaves was humble, down-to-earth and engaging. He became a pioneer as one of the first ex-footballers to speak openly and write about alcohol addiction. After possessing the character and discipline to beat this addiction, Jimmy starred alongside Ian St John in the popular ITV programme Saint and Greavesy between 1985 and 1992. He became a very popular pundit with a new generation of football fans who became captivated by his down-to-earth wit and charm. He was renowned for his droll anecdotes and after-dinner speaking, for example, on deciding against becoming a manager. I didn't really see my career in football after I retired. If I'd have known you could get millions for being absolutely crap and getting the sack, I'd have been in like a shot. Describing his time at Chelsea. In those days, they were an all-the-best club. We never had a team talk. All the players just said all the best to one another and ran out onto the pitch. He described Spurs' style of play under Jerry Francis, Wimbledon with fans. And lastly, I had a goal drought once, worst 15 minutes of my career. For me, Jimmy Greaves is the greatest Spurs player of all time. In the words of Tina Turner's song, Jimmy Greaves, you are simply the best. Uh, we should kick off with talking about the Wren game. Absolutely. Um, and then moving on to the uh, the decimation from Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. So, yeah. So, it's been an interesting week for Spurs. So, we had the game against Wren. Now, um, I stayed up to watch this game. Mm. And this was at, I think, kickoff was around about 2.45 a.m. So, it was quite late. Um, that is correct, yeah. 
Yeah, and I had no idea about Rennes. I hadn't really heard much about them. Um, I heard that they were kind of like maybe well, mid-level French team. Well, I mean, anyone yeah, playing in mid- the conference league is mid-level. Mi- yeah, <laughs> but like mid- mid-table league earn, like the sort of team that is one of the better teams in the conference league, but also one of the teams that even playing in the kids, we should be able to, to handle, you would think. Yeah. Um, that's what I thought too. But then when I saw how they started the game, uh, Ren go at it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> they, I didn't know that they, like they press really, really hard. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, I don't know, when you watch like, like someone like Red Bull, mm. um, Leipzig, like Leipzig or something yeah. like that. Like, yeah. like their players all seem very familiar with the system that they have. They, they press us way more than I thought that, that, um, that they would. And, I mean, the crowd were really sort of up for it as well. So it seemed like a much bigger game for Ren than it probably was for us. Mm. And I think that really showed because I think they almost caught us a bit off guard. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's also worth looking at, like, the, the profile of Tottenham Hotspur over the last, you know, five, ten years and that sort of thing. We are, like, de- have definitely have been in the market for more French players of late and that sort of thing. And there has been a bit of... Po- you know, like Even, like, the signing of like someone like Ndombele, who was such a big signing and that sort of thing, there is that sort of connection that is closer to, you know, what Arsenal was doing um, around the start of the start of the, the, the millennium. Um, and so I think Tottenham, you know, it, it can often not feel like it, but we have sort of become this quite monolithic club compared to like world football, that sort of thing. I think we're like, what, like ninth richest club uh, in the world, which again, you wouldn't always think that. But I, but it does mean that when, when you do play these teams in the Conference League, often like the games that they're dreaming of playing, like to play against Tottenham Hotspur, that's the sort of team that you want to come out and actually really guard them and, and, and not want to be intimidated by, but like try and prove yourself in a sense. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good point. It almost shows like the double standards that we have in the sense, well, not the double standards we have, but like how we look at the competition and we go like, oh, Conference League, what an absolute drag. Farmers League, We would rather be yeah. doing anything else that apart <laughs> from being in this, but then you do actually have teams in it who are really keen to be there mm. and really want to go there, make an impact and really want to win. Whereas to some of our players, it might seem like more of a chore that they have to do this. And they might almost, you know, some of their egos, they would be embarrassed that they would be playing in the third <laughs> tier of your, um, of European competition. No, yeah. um, especially so someone like Ndombele, like I know there was an article that came out, I think by Alistair Gold, where yes. it was talking about um, basically the cycle that happens with Ndombele in that he, um, he starts training well, um, gets his fitness up, gets his like sharpness up, starts doing well on the pitch, uh, then starts to believe his own hype and think that he should be at a better club and then ends up dropping off, uh, losing focus and keeps that cycle going yeah. <laughs> on repeat. Um, toxic behavior, so really. <laughs> toxic behavior, really. And like, you know, I mean, Alistair Gold, like most of the stuff that he reports, it does sort of err on the side of like truth. Like he doesn't really sort of yeah. get involved too much in random rumors. And I'd, you know, he is rel- relatively close to the club as well. So I think when he reports something, usually I think you can sort of take it as like you can trust that source. I also think that like the vast majority of stories relating to Ndombele, like that that definitely tracks as like an overall tone or flavour of those stories is that in general he has flashes of like uh, individual brilliance and that sort of thing and then does seem to distance himself. And it's either like, oh, well we've sold his friends and like they've, they've gone to play for other people, that sort of thing, or he's homesick or whatever the myriad reasons are and that sort of thing. There is that continual story of like, sometimes 
Like, he'll have a purple patch where he's involved in the game and he's just, like, incredible on the pitch. And then he'll just, like, sort of lose that a bit. And I, whatever the process of that is of, like, settling into it, I think um, Ali's reporting there does sort of speak to a potential cycle that is happening. Yeah. I think the interesting thing with Ndombele as well is that he can go through a purple patch and then back into a drought in the same game. <laughs> Whereas a lot of other players, like, they'll either be on a run for a few weeks and then they'll sort of really drop off for a few weeks yeah. and they'll come back. It's actually quite um, remarkable, really. Like, well, maybe we should, we should stop looking at it as a... Uh, uh, as a negative, and maybe it's it's this sort of style of play where we can almost guarantee he's going to have a purple patch and a drought in the same 90 minutes. And so what the game then becomes is figuring out what half that's going to be in, playing him for the half where he's in the purple patch, and then just subbing him off. And then, th- and then that way it's like best of both worlds. <laughs> Definitely. So <laughs> I think, and, and I think this, this came out in both of these games. So um, obviously this was the first start that he had for us against Ran in, well, this season under Nuno. Yeah. And this whole preseason as well. Yeah. Uh, it was the first time we'd seen him in a while. Did he get a start um, under Mason or not at all? No, he started the first game under Mason. Right. Um, and then he was just benched yeah. for the rest of the season, including the final, <sighs> which apparently also was not great for his ego either. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's reasonable, to be honest. In that. Given the, given fair, the like, performances we were putting that. up, like I think it's fair for him to be like, how am I not getting into this team? Yeah, especially when you had games like the cup final where it's like this is calling out for someone like Ndombele to, to come on. Um, but I think yeah. what we did see in the Ren game, it showed us what we do miss and what he does bring to the team. So um, when he was getting on the ball, he was looking to make things happen, getting some, um, like his eye for a pass is great. He gives the ball away quite a bit, mm-hmm. but it's almost like he's the sort of player that when it does come off, it's it's almost, it's worth giving the ball away a few times for those passes to sort of... Yeah, well, you're always going to lose the ball at some point in the game. Um, but often the issue of our, our style of play is that we've been missing having like almost any of those sort of cre- creative, progressive passes. And so Ndombele is sort of losing the ball as much as the entire team. Um, but he's also, in a lot of cases, the only one that is able to create that progression, seemingly. Which I think... Well, it's, it's, as I was saying to um, to Barney when we were watching the um, the Chelsea game, but uh, Ndombele, like he he does get the ball away a lot, but like seemingly of that midfield three, he was like one of the only ones that was actually willing to like forward pass, and that when we play players like you know Winks and that sort of thing, it's like there's so much lateral movement, and sometimes you just need someone to like take the risk and like try and progress the ball. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think that. Yeah, when he does bring that to the team, that's that's something that we we miss. Like mm. we don't have any other players who really can do that. Um, I think as well when he does that from deep, it's that's when he is at his best. Mm. And yeah, I know there are portions of the fans who are always saying, "Play him in attacking mid, play him there, playing there." But I think that's just looking at him, going like, "Hey, he can dribble well. He should be an attacking midfielder." Yeah. Um, hey, he's he can put a pass together. He should be an attacking midfielder. But realistically, like he plays his best when he does get the ball deep. And he turns out of trouble so well, and he's a lot more effective, I think, when he when we're getting him on the on the ball earlier in the play, mm. rather than kind of getting it getting it to him further up the pitch. Um, the one thing that I think stood out in the Ren game, though, the, the the negative about him is I think definitely his fitness and his defensive side. So yeah. definitely, I th- I think he was partially at fault for one of those um, Ren goals, like. Like we said before, like I think Ren did take catches off guard in how um, quick they play, 
and uh, like they were like a hundred miles an hour, um, and they just go forward. But there was one, and I forget the name of the player. And he, it's it's where he went on a little run, cut inside, was and, and sort of took a shot from the middle of the, um, you know, middle of the pitch, effectively. Um, and it's really like how are people not closing him down there? Um, and I think in watching the replays, I think like Ndombele was one of the players at fault um, in that. Hmm. And I don't want to just then look at one incident and go, well, Ndombele is at fault. Let's draw a whole thing about his character there. But I also think that that's something that we have seen from him before that like um, defensively, he doesn't always sort of put in um, as much as might be required at this level. Yeah. Um, and then I think that's where the question comes. It's like, is he providing us enough? Um, attacking threat is he adding enough on that side that we're in a position that we can carry a player like that defensively it's i mean that's an interesting point to raise and one that i think is like sort of speaks to the system uh under nuno um but in that he does seem to be trending towards this ultra well this oh yeah ultra defensive approach and style of play and that sort of thing i mean you need to look at our um our xg um, I think it's at like 4.42 or something I saw, which puts us at, at like the bottom of the Premier League in terms of our expected goals um, great, from great, our play. <laughs> it's nice to A go. wonderful table to be bottom of the league. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Um, nearly as bad as the actual um, Premier League table. Um, but we are definitely trending defensive with the way we're playing. Um, and so I would make the argument then that if Ndombele is one of the only players providing that attacking spark, then... If if we are going this defensive, which again, given all that talk about the DNA of the team and, and whatever else, I, I sort of have questions about. But if we do go defensive, then surely one of the the upsides of that has to be that we have coverage to back up in Dombele should he have a defensive lapse, um, and then just allow him to sort of uh, not play a free role necessarily, but like um, particularly in, in that deep role as you were saying. Um, focus on getting the ball, getting out of trouble, and then progressing it via like one of those perfect passes that he can deliver. Um, at least to me, that seems like a worthwhile trade-off. While we don't have any other players that are screaming out as um, you know sources of creativity. Yeah, and I think it, it probably also depends on who we're actually playing in there with him, mm. and whether they can sort of cover the load there. Like in some ways, he's a reverse Kante. Like. Kante <laughs> comes on the pitch and he's, it's like the other team suddenly has three extra players running around. Yeah. Um, whereas in Dombley, I think sometimes it's like he leaves you looking like you're a man down. Um, but it's like if you have, like, say, Hoybier and Delhi in that midfield with him, um, both two very hardworking players who are going to get through a lot of running yeah. um, and going to get up and down quite a bit, then maybe that's where he... he he can actually just play in that team because there will be those people who are, like, making up for... Um, any lapses that he has sort of defensively and he is you know able to be there as the outlet to sort of start attacks and um, and even as you say talking about so. Kante and that sort of thing like Hoybier is like he's like two defensive midfielders sometimes you know what I mean like he has that gravitas about him um, and so yeah when our when our team selection is <laughs> exciting and like sort of well put together I think there's absolutely scope for Ndombele to do that. Now, Ndombele playing against, say, like, Skip and Harry Winks, suddenly maybe it's a bit more problematic and there's maybe there's more responsibility on Ndombele to actually hold up um, that midfield play. But anyway. Yeah. Well, and I think as well, it's almost to me to the idea of having, like, Ndombele and, say, 
La Celso. Mm. I'm not. I'm not so sure about. Well, that was the pivot, Faith. right? Like that. That was what everyone yeah. was screaming for the entire time. It was like a four-two-three-one with like a, a La Celso and a Dombele pivot, um, which I, I, I guess makes sense on paper in a lot of ways, but um, I not in practice, at least at this point. Yeah. Um... I think it's like, look, let's just move on to the Chelsea game. Because like yeah. the, the Ren game was... <laughs> I think the Ren game was... Um, probably the last things to cover there would be that... Uh, yeah, overall, a much tougher game than we thought. Also, I thought the Ren... Their, their players were going in a little bit hard mm-hmm. on our players. And I would have liked to seen some more cards come out. Because we, we ended up having um, Bergwijn injured. Um, Lucas injured. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they were the result of challenges. Not just sort of random injuries. And I know that, say, Bergwijn was coming back from an injury. But... Um, I think the the, yeah, the Bergvine one was particularly rough. Yeah, and I felt like the ref didn't do like in some ways you're like yeah let the game flow, but at the same time, it just felt that maybe I don't know it could have been reined in a little bit, hmm. and you know a physical game like that is not what we needed uh, in the build up to playing Chelsea a few days no. later. No, and also um, this and this month like coming back from an international break where we have like games midweek and on the weekend like essentially the whole way through. It's rough. Yeah. Rough timetable. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, so I guess, look, that leads us into the Chelsea game. Mm. Um, so, all right, Jackson, what did you think? What did you think initially when you saw the lineup that we're putting up for Chelsea? It was the most excited I've been looking at the Tottenham Hotspur lineup. Um, probably since Pochettino, maybe. <laughs> like, Because like, even when, like, when, like, when I'd see us lining up in a way that I liked with um, Mourinho... There was always some sort of lingering, like, but like, you know, are, are we playing like like mid block and that sort of thing, and like, what are, what are we doing with it? How are these players going to be used? But I think partly due to some of the injuries we had, looking at the lineup, and um, you know, Hoybier and uh, and Dombele and Ali in that three, and then like in the attacking band, like Lacelso, Son, and Kane, and just being like. Like surely we have to play attacking football. Like this is this is this is the approach we're going for here. And I was I was I was really excited. I don't know how about you. Yeah, I think um, it took me by shock a little bit because <laughs> in the lead up to the game, I was thinking like, what on earth are we going to do? What are we going to play here? How are we going to try and limit Chelsea? How are we really going to line up? Like a part of me thought, is there a chance that we finally see a switch to three at the back mm. um, to try and deal with sort of Chelsea's attacking threat? Um, and and also due to the fact that it's like we don't have, well, we've got a lot of players who aren't fit or who aren't quite ready to come back. Mm. Um, and also, yeah, so I, I just felt it's like, ooh, are we going to go more defensive? Are we going to try and shut them down um, and try and clog out the game? Like how on earth are we going to play this? Uh, I think as well because it was touch and go as to whether Son was going to make it back in time. Mm. Um, and, you know, Romero, Lo Celso, both coming back just before the game. Um, there were just so many, so many things up in the air about our squad. So when the team sheet was announced, I was very, very pleasantly surprised. <laughs> um, because to me, it seemed like, oh, wow, this is possibly our best team on paper yeah. from what we have available. The only, I think the only, the only thing that it's always interesting how they do the lineup and the order that they list the players yeah. in. Um, cause you see them as the lineup had like Lacelso in the midfield with Hoybjörn and Dombele. It had Delhi playing up front with Kane and Son. Yeah. Um, 
And you see that and you're like, oh, I don't know if that's going to happen because like Delhi's been playing so well in midfield. That box not to as box one of these sort of role. three yeah. attacking players. Yeah. So, and then you thought LaCelso, he's probably a chance then to start on the right. Um, so, like I said earlier, it's like I, I am overall quite a big fan of LaCelso. Yeah. Um, I think that, am I a fan of LaCelso coming in off the right? I don't know. Like, would I prefer if, say, Bergwijn was not injured? Would I prefer to see like Bergwijn up front um, in that mix as well? I probably think so because I feel that yeah. we really need pace in our team. Um, not that we just need to com- constantly just play in the counterattack and, and all the time. Like, um, and in, especially how we started this game, we weren't playing on the counterattack. Hmm. But I think that we do kind of lack a bit of pace when we only have Son as our sort of only pacey player. Yeah. And I do like someone else who can actually get on the ball and drive forward and go at players like Bergwijn. I, I think also Bergwijn's season so far has been really promising. I think he's been doing like a reasonable amount of defensive work as well. I think uh, in combination with um, Real, who seems to be um, like strong defensively and like you know decent at moving forward, but doesn't isn't as pacey necessarily. Um, to, to sort of complement that, and then be able to have Sun and Bergwijn like fuck, like bombing down um, both the flanks. Very interesting. The issue as well is, in terms of the way the game was played, certainly in the second half, um, Harry Kane's uh, habit of dropping deep, which I actually, for the most part, really like. Certainly in the past, I've been a big fan of that and him sort of alternating between a sort of striker, almost number 10 role. Um, This season, I don't think it's working really. And I think part of the issue with that is the lack of pace in the game meant that Kane would drop back and then the only person ahead of him um, would be... Like, the only person that would have a chance of moving into, like, an attacking area would either be Sun and then he's getting double teamed um, or, alternatively, he's so far back that he has to, like, send the ball off through our midfield and then try and rush forward um, towards towards the box. And by that point, the attacking players, like, died out and that sort of thing. Um, so I do wonder if Bergwijn there and his pace would have mitigated that in some way. Oh, yeah, I, I feel like it just would have given us a little bit extra because I think like what you say, like with the Celso as well, like he's he's an interesting player that, mm. like I said, I'm a fan of him. Um, I do think he does have a lot of like really solid qualities about him, but it's we haven't really found out like the best position for where he fits into our system and... I think he's he showed glimpses, like he showed moments where he's gone through a patch where he's like, wow, Celso's playing incredibly. He's playing really, really well. He's looking like he could be a really, really sort of solid player for us. But then he seems to keep getting these niggling injuries and then um, various things like that. So I think it's like, if you said, what is LaCelso's best position for Spurs? I'd, I think you would get like five different answers from people. <laughs> and to me, that sort of shows that we don't really know exactly where to play him yet. So I think it was worthwhile trying him on the right and seeing how he went. Um, and realistically, this was a game of two halves. Like, Truly. I think we we needed give credit for the the fact that we started the game quite well, um, and we were looking promising, especially for the first half an hour. I mean, first um, forty I we first really forty promising. minutes, even I think we looked the more convincing team, which was surprising. And I think you could hear it in the uh, in the commentators as well. Um, I think we I think we kind of surprised them a little bit, and then. Um, you know, credit to Chelsea for finding a way to just completely strangle us in the second half. <laughs> but I think tactically it made a lot of sense what we were doing. Um, and we were 
missing that last step, I think. I mean, I, I think a lot of blame for that has to go to Harry, uh, to be honest. Um, but yeah, we were like, our press was really impressed, like really impressive. God, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was, it was, it was something else and something that we haven't really seen. We haven't seen a lot of press like that from Tottenham in a while. No, it was really kind of the Man City game. Mm. And then now this one. Mm. Um, and then I don't know what happened in between. Just, just all <laughs> disappeared. But it seems like if, if Nuno starts a game like this, that this is how he would, his desired um, way of playing would be more in line with this than how we necessarily have been playing at, say, you know, Palace, Wolves, any of those sort of games. And I know that Nuno has commented now and being like, well, I forget exactly what the comment was, but it's along the lines of like having to play with the players that he had. Hmm. And this isn't in a sense of like, oh, I wish we had more players coming through transfers, but it was more like who has been available and had set up in certain ways due to that. Yeah. Who who, who hasn't been injured or who hasn't committed like an international crime. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) definitely. So I think from that side, like we can take the positive that like, right, cool. If this is how he's setting up against Chelsea, who like Chelsea is still in my mind, they're going to win the league. Yeah, Um, me too, I think. I think they're the most solid team. They, They all play in a system which they know well and they're usually quite hard to break down. Um, I know Michael Cox did a really good sort of tactical breakdown of this game where he did go into, um, hey, Spurs actually did set up really well to begin with, um, but then here's tactically what happened and how Chelsea adjusted and how they ended up getting back in the game. Mm. Um, And it was, uh, once it was sort of, you look at his sort of breakdown, it's like, yeah, great, all right. It was actually, it was actually a relatively effective idea to have Kane on the left um, and to then try and, you know, um, put Son up against Thiago and outpace him. Um, and we did have a couple of chances that, um, you know, on another day we could have ended up two goals up in that first half. Um, one where Son was sort of set through from um, Geo, and then the other one where Reggie was bombing down the left <laughs> and he just had yards of space. And all that space was created from Kane dropping deep um, yeah. and then being able to play through. So I think that when we look at it like that, it's like we did actually set up pretty well. Um, but then around 30, 35 minutes, Chelsea dropped Mount back into midfield and tried to sort of clog that up a little bit more and compete with us more there. So I think that's where we started slowing down a little bit. Yeah. And then at halftime, Tuchel went like full fixing the situation by going, all right, Mount, you're not, you, this isn't a position you play in. So we're just going to bring on one of the best midfielders in the world in Kante to play that. And that's his perfect position. Um, and then the game was kind of done. Yeah. So and it is hard. There aren't a lot of teams or managers in the world that have a halftime tactical change of bringing on Kante to just be like, you're going to be three midfielders at once, and there's just not going to be no movement. Like that, that is a, it's a rare tactic that anyone can pull. Oh, definitely. And it's it's like, um, it it was and it worked and it worked. And then they started overrunning the game, and um, I think as well, our fitness showed that like we're not quite ready to be playing this full intense press um and i fear that a little bit in the first half when it's like we're going really hard here and we haven't been going that way in the last few weeks we did it against city and it was like wow this is great but then we dropped off so it's like okay well we're not we haven't been training necessarily training and playing at that sort of intensity for the last few weeks so to then try and come into this game especially after we've had a really tough clash um yeah tough clash against ren 
is like, do we have the fitness to, to like keep up with this? Um, I think it's something that obviously can be worked towards if this is how we're going to start playing and how we, we really want to be setting up. Mm. But it sort of, I think it also showed in conjunction with the tactical changes that Chelsea made that when it got to the second half, Chelsea seemed to be a little bit more um, rested because, you know, they had weathered our storm in that first half. Um, and I know they had some chances too, but I think we definitely, at the start of the game, we looked like we were in charge of the game. Um, but I think they they kind of probably managed their energy levels throughout the game a little bit better than we did. Mm. Whereas we just went a bit too kind of like, kind of like a, it's like a 13 year old trying to prove themselves on a, <laughs> on a game. It's like, I'm going to run around so much. And you get to halftime. It's like, you know what? I'm pretty buggered right now. Yeah. Well, it was that, it was those, um, you know, back in the day with the Pochettino, those like double training sessions that all the players used to talk about and like, you know, resent in a lot of ways, but it did mean that Poch could generally have his players press at that intensity for like 75 minutes and then just like, like break the team down to the point where like, they're like, all right, we're going to come back on the second half, maybe they're tired out. And then we wouldn't be because all we would do is fitness. And then, you know, Ericsson would come on and like score a goal in like the 90th minute. Um, well, but- I was going to say, and in that as well, like we were, I think during that period where we did play like that, we had the most like come from behind victories yeah. by far out of yeah. any sort of Premier League team. Um, and I think that that really showed that fitness of like, and even I remember watching those games and it was like, you know what? We're going to come over the top here. That's fine. That's fine. They'll yeah. tire. We'll score a couple of late goals. We'll be okay. It's a bizarre, bizarre feeling to be like in the 85th minute of a game and be like, I think we've got this. Like <laughs> most of my experience of watching football other than then during that window is like, you know, 80th minute rolls around and it's like, God, it's nil all. We're not going to be able to break the deadlock. We, we, we just can't find a key. Like this is a nightmare. And yet, like, all those games, and, like, like you know, shout out to Ericsson, of course, like, how many moments he had with that, where it was just kind of like, no, they're, they're going to be exhausted. Like, we, we have more in the tank, and they're going to, like, slip right before the end, and we're just going to find a goal. Um, and you could, you could almost rely, rely on it. It was a very peculiar feeling. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. It, it, you're right. It was so peculiar being like, yeah, all right, we're going to be okay here. And it was kind of reverse to Mourinho last season, where... It was like, we need to score like two or three goals to hold on because we are going to collapse at the end of the game because <laughs> our fitness is the last thing he's worrying about. <laughs> and we'd give away so many late goals. Mm. Like, I think last season, um, I, I, I forget the stats on it, but I was reading something that it, it was just saying, it's like, you know, if you take away all the late goals that we sort of conceded, um, like we either finish fourth or fit or just fifth or something like that, mm. but we have a much, much more positive season. Um, if you just get rid of like even two or three of these like late goals, because that equates to, you know, two or three wins that we didn't get um, because yeah. we slipped up in that manner. So I am all up for us becoming a super fit team again and and playing in that way and having sort of like a whole bunch of like Steve Monaghetti's running up and down the field um, <laughs> and just going for the whole game. Yeah. Um, not to say that we don't want to play with some flair, but um, but also it's just we that- yeah in terms of the profile of players we have at the moment, like it, we don't we're not sort of you know obviously like hills come in and that sort of thing, and I think there is some sort of like hope there, but like I also think that we have these quite regimented like good fundamentals players that if you just take them and then bring their fitness up to like you know like the top tenth percentile 
of the whole league, then all of a sudden that is such an edge that we have. Um, mm. Because we're not we're not playing like you know like Barcelona uh, like in the in the two thousands. You know what I mean? Like we, there's not that like sort of technical skill and flair that is just like so irrepressible that you that that's how we're winning games. And I think like given the players that we have, if we could just increase the, the fitness level, that would actually fundamentally increase the quality of our squad in quite a dramatic way. No, I I definitely agree, and I think that was evident by. The first half, like yeah. the first half, we were playing with that energy. We were playing with that pace, but we still were putting some really nice moves together. Mm. Um, so it wasn't just this team who's like, all right, they're just, a, we're just becoming this physical team that does all this. It's just like, no, we're really playing at a high tempo. We're pressing to win the ball back earlier um, and recover the ball earlier instead of just going back and dropping deep and waiting in a low block to then recover the ball and hit on the counter. Yeah. Um, so, I, I agree. It's like if we are able to get our fitness up to be able to play like we did in the first half for even 75 minutes of a game, then that's a really, really exciting team. And we do have players that can do damage um, when we're playing in that way. Um, also, yeah. there are some players who they're going to take, like Royale is going to take a while to adjust. Yeah, totally. Um, like this is his second game in. Um, also, Region, I think, has actually been a bit poor this season yeah um like as in what i mean i think last when we when we first got him coming in um he was he seemed very very exciting going forward Mm. um and it was something that we'd lacked for a very long time and it reminded me going back to like when we had rose and walker and they were their peaks heaven and it was just a nightmare for other teams playing against us because it's like you've got two absolute speed demons coming down yes from fullback on the overlap importantly could pass who Which does seem to be Re- Reggie's, uh, his personal, you know, Sisyphean task at the moment is that his his passing does seem to have dropped off a little bit. Definitely. Um, I still think there's a really, really good play there and mm. he's still so young. Um, but I think it really, it really just kind of shows like, I think that, yeah, when he went forward, um, like his cross, if he, that like that wasn't a difficult ball to get through to Lo Celso. And then that was effectively a tap in um, to to go one nil up. And I just think that when he's gone forward, he hasn't maybe looked as confident in himself either. Um, and it's just been, I don't know. He's just been a little bit erratic. I think there have been times where he has showed a little bit more defensive consistency compared to in the past, but I just almost feel that it just seems like something's up with Reggie at the moment. He's not, not quite playing to like, you know, the, the full level that he can right now. And that we've seen as well. I mean, I would also say it's, I think it might be a mentality thing. I mean, I think that's potentially true of half our squad, but I think that such is yeah. the, the danger of playing for Tottenham Hotspur is that there's going to, there's going to be some up and downs with regards to your self-worth. Um, but I think that when he rocked up, he was this coup of a signing from Real Madrid. And I think our supporters were just like, we've, We've done it. Like we've got like this super exciting player. There was the whole buyback clause. It's like, oh, uh, we're we're this amazing player that we're probably gonna have to get rid of in like two years because Madrid are gonna want him back. But like, it's gonna be two amazing years, and we'll see what happens. And like, he was playing like he was a world beater. Like really, like those first few games where he came in, it was like blistering pace and like crosses that were like really effective and dangerous. He was linking up with. Like, a lot of the time, it was, like, Reggie, Kane, and Son. And it was, like, oh, my God. Like, we're moving from, like, left-back, 
through our attacking band, and it's it was like a, it was a thing of beauty. And I do wonder if the the Mourinho effect and just our general, you know, not getting in the Champions League, the Harry Kane stuff, the the, the general concern around the football club, uh, and all that talk, if that maybe has uh, in some way sort of like thrown off his game a little bit, because he he he, he there was like a. There was like a cheekiness and like almost like an arrogance there when he first came over for, for us. Um, and he seems to have be a bit more reserved now, I guess. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it is, like you say, more mentality-based than anything mm. else, um, which is why it's not like, all right, in the bin, Reggie. It's, <laughs> it's absolutely not that at all. No. Um, it's more just, um, I think that, yeah, once we start getting a little bit more out of him... Um, it also really depends like how we're going to keep playing Kane um, and how yeah. Nuno is going to deal with that situation. So overall, I think Kane, there was some nice movement in the first half um, and he did was involved in that chance that sent Reggie down the wing. Mm. Um, but ultimately, what do we have here in Harry Kane? Um, is this a player now who I can't see him at the moment being like, you know what? I'm really glad I didn't go to Man City. I'm really glad that didn't work out. <laughs> well, um, I mean, you just you had to switch on any Man City game and you're like, wow, if they had a world-class striker, they would be unbeatable. Like literally like you yeah. watch Man City games at the moment and the build-up is so like tantalizing and Grealish is just like really starting to prove the value of his 100 million dollar price tag. Uh 100 million pound, but like all you need is a Harry Kane there and that team unbeat, unbeatable, unplayable, invincibles, whatever whatever you want to call it. Like, really, they would be that good. And so it isn't this thing where, like, he's just sitting there being like, <laughs> that could be me. That could be the service I would be getting. Um, and so I understand his, you know, discontent with regards to that. And also the reality that, like, they might not come back for him. And that shot might be over. And it might take him a while to sort of come to terms with being a Tottenham Hotspur player indefinitely or having to leave the Premier League. Yeah. I think that there's a lot in there. <laughs> like, like there's a lot <laughs> that he must be sort of, you know, trying to deal with. Uh, I'm not trying to show sympathy for him. I'm just saying that. <laughs> well, he's a snake. Absolutely. He's a snake. <laughs> there's probably a lot of thoughts there that are like, that are also sort of impacting things a little bit. And yeah, like the move to Man City, it might've been gone now. Like, cause next season, if I'm Man City, not just from a Spurs fan, uh, sorry, a Spurs fans perspective. Like, I'm going Haaland. You have to try. Yeah, I'm going Haaland. Like, Haaland is an absolute monster who is suited for the Premier League so well <laughs> that I don't think you go. Do we pay 100 million for a 30 year old, or do we pay for what's Haaland like 22, 23? Yeah. Um, two hundred. Do we pay two hundred million for someone that you can play for a decade though? Totally. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think it's really just interesting to see now what happens with Kane and, like, I don't know, he's obviously staying here for the season, but do we have, like, you know, a half a, a half level Harry Kane? Like, I think, like, we've spoken about in the past, like, he's not at danger of getting dropped from the England squad. No. Um, even if he has a poor season, he's still, like, he's captain. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's, like, his spot is kind of safe there. He'll obviously want to, you know he want to do as well as he can getting into the best form he can leading up to world cups and those sort of things. But yeah, it's just, I think it's a bit concerning. I think at the moment of, um, 
what we have in Kane, what sort of Kane we have and where this sort of leads. Because I also do think that him dropping back, unless it's really part of a, a proper system that involves a number of players in the team, not just him and Son, I think it does actually lead us into a problematic situation. Well, and I think that's what's happened in the past. We're missing that link into our, like, into the the attack, like, yeah, into our attack, essentially. And Harry, what he's done in the past and what he's shown he can do is drop back and be that link, particularly for Sun. But that is also, was the most exciting attack of last season. Kane and Sun were the most exciting attacking duo of last season. Um, and everyone's had a year to think about that and look at that and try and deal with that. Um, and I don't, I don't think it would be um, unreasonable to think that the best managers in the world that are in the Premier League are looking at ways of shutting down Kane and Son, and they are isolating them. And Kane is getting stuck too far deep for what he needs to be doing. He also doesn't seem to be, and I know this is you know conjecture in terms of how much effort he's putting in, but he genuinely, particularly in that second half, doesn't seem to be as uh, industrious as he, he used to have an engine like nothing else and would just like run and run and run all day just trying to make something happen and that doesn't seem to be there as much and well he was so keen to just gobble up goals completely and it wouldn't be I, I i don't think it would be as exciting for him or make him feel as if he was doing the most work but honestly if he just stuck himself in the box for the, that second half we might have gotten a goal like, obviously, I, I think him dropping deep is great and that sort of thing. And I, I genuinely, as I said before, like when it happened at the first time, I was like, this is, he is a complete player. This is outstanding. And I stand by that. But also, if we actually have a target in the box, then all it takes is one opportunity and one of the best strikers in the world to just try and tap it in. And maybe maybe we score a goal. Yeah. And I, I think that's where the, the sort of the toss-up comes into it of like, cool. Uh, on one hand, yep, it was maybe a smart approach to, to put Son's pace up against Thiago and to say, go, you know, Kane will be able to like outmuscle Christensen who will go against him. And, mm. um, you know, he might get into some space sort of between lines for Chelsea and be able to create something. Um, like that to me is maybe a really good approach if we have an absolutely like flying Reggie. Um, yeah, sure. to, to overlap on the left and then then it becomes really challenging to play against if you've got a player like Kane who's like alright he's not even playing in the middle now he's sort of floating in off the left he's getting the ball there he's causing issues there but then now he's got multiple options to to, yep. to give it forward to which is the overlapping fullback Son if Bergwijn is in there as well that's what I mean all of a sudden through. we're pulling the team all the way to the left and then it means someone on the right can be like oh there's no one over here I'm, I've got space and that you can sort of work in that manner. Like that's so exciting. Yeah. Um, it's just gonna be a thing, I think, when we what happens when we play other teams who don't have like Tiago is a still a really he's shown, he's a really top level centre back still at thirty six, thirty seven, however old he is. <laughs> um, even though he's not very quick at all. Um, but he's still he's a very experienced player and he's he's a very solid centre back. Um what happens again when we play against um other teams like if you go up against, say, a, a Varane or a Maguire at Man U, mm. like, how are we going to line up against them? Because if we can't, I don't think we can really go this approach because, like, like Varane's not as quick as Son, but he's pretty quick. So if yeah. we tried to play Son in the middle, they'll be like, all right, Varane, you take him. Harry Maguire, you just hang around. Um, so 
it just feels like, yeah, it's it's just this, this this thing that I'm just like, I don't really know where I would prefer to see Kane, but I think that if we're playing players like Ndombele in midfield, we're trying to play them to get on the ball earlier so Kane doesn't have to drop deep yeah. and get in there. And there, I would love to see Kane playing up front and mm-hmm. utilizing his hold-up play further up the pitch. Exactly. And actually playing more on the... Because if we're playing more on the front foot, we're not doing this thing of dropping deep and having Kane get, get the ball really deep and then having all this space over the top to play through yeah. someone like Son. Like, we're trying to be a lot further up and then it's like, well, there's not going to be this space over the top to get to someone like Kane. So Sorry, for Kane to get it through to someone else. So let's actually just try and get it into him and... You know, use his like his exceptional his his hot up play is ridiculous, um, but I feel like you get in that situation even if he gets it and he's laying it off through to someone, that is probably laying it off on the edge of the box through to like Son, who's like it's a it's a couple of meter pass and then Son's having a shot. Like I think it puts us in a much better um, position to play on the front foot more mm. if he's playing further up the field. All you just need a simple, like a simple defensive error where someone just leaves like Kane, like a touch too much space just outside of the box, and he has the quality to finish from there. You know what Definitely. I mean? Like, like, like he 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 does have that longer range shot, and he he does have the ability to make something out of nothing in that area. But if he's so far deep, it, like th- that isn't a possibility, and he can't score from there. Like fundamentally, he can't. Um, and so if everything he's doing, if it was just slightly further up the pitch, all of a sudden it means that he can connect with Sun a lot better and also potentially just work for himself as well. Definitely. And I, I think like, I think that's a really good point because I'd like to, I was going to say I'd like to call him a triple threat player just because I want to use the word triple threat because whenever people <laughs> say that about player, like it sounds cool. Yeah. Or sure. even anyone, they like, they're like, oh, Hugh Jackman, what a triple threat. Triple threat. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but then Kane, I'm like, I don't know what that is in football, but he's at least a double threat when he's, <laughs> when he's playing up front where mm. you'd get the ball into him and it's and like you say, it's like you can't drop off him because he'll turn and he's in shooting range mm-hmm. and you can't do that. If you play it up to him, he loves that and loves having that contact because then he's going to be able to lay it off to someone else there. But yeah. where he's getting the ball now, he's really only one option is that he's going to try and turn on the ball and pass it. Yeah. And it really negates that side of his game of like, he's not getting the ball up in areas where he is within shooting range, like you're saying. Like, And his shooting range is it's further out than pretty much any other player. <laughs> so if you get him like, you know, within 10 yards of the box, like he's, he's dangerous. He could shoot from there and he's got a chance of at least testing the keeper and possibly scoring. Mm. So... I feel that like we just needed to start getting Kane shooting more. And I know that his like shots per game are like way down compared to like what they used to be. Yeah. Um, and I think even last season, like they were as well. And like, he still scored a number of goals, but you know what? He scored like 18, 20 goals or something. Mm. Whereas in previous seasons, you know, he'd been pushing 30. Um, yeah. And I know that, yeah, he got a lot of assists last season as well, but it almost sort of, to me is like, well, that seemed more out of necessity last season, whereas we should be trying to work on a way where we're trying to get Ndombele to have five, six, seven, eight assists. Yeah. We're trying to get Delhi to have yeah. five assists. Yeah. We're trying to get these other players to to cover that assist load so that Kane can get back to scoring more. And then yeah. I think you've really got a dangerous situation then because it's like, all right, we've got Kane and Son both really coming at us. 
Um, just just to let really, to let him really be difficult. a selfish player, you know what I mean? Like, and and, and yeah. not in the way that I think he is, where he wants it to be about him and he wants to be the hero, but selfish in the sense of letting him focus on what he's good at. I mean, you know, I I have my own thoughts and issues with Ronaldo being back at United and you know being a being a player and everything like that, but in just from a purely uh, just in terms of looking at how he plays and that sort of thing. He entirely allows himself to be like a pure attacking threat, and that is what he oh, is. That's all he needs to do. That's all he needs to do. And I, because I watched the, I watched the West Ham United game, um, and there's nothing wrong with that element of the game of having a striker that is just focusing on their own work rate. And Harry Kane being able to be as like astounding at assists as he is is a beautiful part of his game, and I think makes him a better player. But if we're talking about him scoring, you know, 18 goals in a season or him pushing over 30, that is more important because then he becomes such a threat that other teams have to deal with him and then that allows other players to shine as well. And that's that would be the direction I would, I would push him in. Were I like a, you know, a famous uh, sports science uh, guru or mentor <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, or he just just his mate just whispers in his ear. It's like, well, you look, you're falling away from the records. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you need a need to get a few more. How many goals seasons to... you got left in you? Yeah, yeah. Sheer yeah, is, is up there. You gotta <laughs> still gonna catch him, mate. Um, but no, it's true. It's like you know, last season did he race his game and become a better all round player? Yes, unquestionably. But is it better for him to be an all round player? And I guess that's what we're really sort of asking there is. Do is it better to have a player like that who is a better all-round player, or is it better to have someone who is more of a specialist in the one area? Which is why, like, you know, when Kane does well, they they always um, you always get the comparisons between like, well, who's better? Is it Kane? Is it Lewandowski? Like, who's the best centre forward? And it's like, well, Lewandowski's the best centre forward in the world right now, um, especially on how he's playing. Because also he's old man and he still is just banging them away for fun. And I so, know it's Bundesliga, which is a, a, a ancient step down, bones. <laughs> but to yeah. be scoring as many goals as he is, and I know again he's playing for the by far the best team in that yeah. country, Silver Service, yeah, Silver Service. But um, he's so sh- like he's sh- so sharp and dangerous and deadly as um, as a forward, and you know he hasn't sort of tried to evolve his game to the sense where he's like. You know what? I want to get as, almost as many assists as goals and that sort of thing. It's just like, no, nope, score, 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 score. That's the sort of key focus. I'm going to get myself in the best physical condition I possibly can um, mm. and sort of focus on that. And I almost feel like with Kane, like regardless of thinking like, you know, oh, I, it could also be like a bit of an ego thing, which I also feel like came from um, Jose. And I mean, it's in the All or Nothing documentary where it's yeah. like, I can make you explode. Like I can make you, you know, like basically like I can make you like the Brad Pitt of football. <laughs> um, whereas it's like, do it like, is there this ego thing of like, hey, you need to carry this team and do all these roles or still just like, hey, you just focus on being elite, absolutely elite and world-class at this one thing. Yeah. And then we, the rest of us, we need to raise our game and raise our level mm. in order to get the ball into you and get you those more sort of, um, you know, more shooting opportunities. Yeah. Oh, we... oh God, great. No, I, what, no, <laughs> I just love no, it. It's like, Dan, you have surmised that perfectly. Uh, <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> um, I just think that... <laughs> Like yeah, like we I would just spend a lot of time talking about Kane and that sort of thing. And I think I think we do sort of like agree um 
agree there that I think that that is an element of what he should be focusing on is that like focusing on him as a finisher really as as our target man um but I was going to say like is it worth us with regard to this like then looking ahead to uh the Wolves game uh in the EFL uh for the EFL Cup um and in terms of like sort of team selection and that sort of thing do you have any thoughts on what we're going to end up doing um, well, just very quickly, the last thing I just want to cover from Chelsea, which we spent a lot of time talking about Kane. Uh, I thought Dyer was a, like really, really oh, solid. Oh, completely, yeah. Um, just, just quickly, because it's like um, people are so keen to jump on Dyer when he's not playing well and call him rubbish and call him trash and all that. But like, I think he's really continued his good form since the start of the season. And yeah, we lost 3-0, but you don't often praise centre-backs when that happens. Although right. Sky Sports tend to do it last year when we beat Wolves and then yeah. Connor Cody gets given man of the match, which I don't know how that works out. But um, I think Dyer was really, really good mm. again. And like for most of the game, he kept Lukaku at bay. Um, yeah. As Chelsea started running away with it, there was a lot, of, a bit more space and um, it, it, it opened up a lot for them. But for the majority of the game, I think Eric Dyer was really, really solid. And I think as well that Romero, um, it was a decent debut from him. Um, a Premier League debut from him. Yeah. Um, and I think like there's there's potential in that Dyer Romero partnership this mm. season. Yeah, no, I, I think I, Romero actually quite impressed me, to be honest. Um, and then Dyer as well. I think like it's surprising to feel so comfortable with even the idea of like a Sanchez Dyer starting center back combination feels quite alien as an idea for that to be so comforting. Um, but really, like, he's, like, lifted his game, particularly with regards to, like, sort of set pieces as well. Because there was a real sense last season that, you know, whenever, whenever there's a corner going on, it's like, what is Dyer going to do? Like, just, like, yeah. mark someone. <laughs> What's going on? Um, and, yeah, he seems to have, like, lifted his game um, and is, like, a reliable option. To the extent where, like, part of me goes, like, I mean, in terms of the quality of our players in our system... Do we look best with like a Sanchez, Dyer, Romero back three? Like, is that or you know Tanganga, whichever one of them sort of like do uh, do we start thinking about shifting to three at the back and then like higher wing backs? Um, and is that going to be the best use of our sort of formation? I guess. Yeah, I think my only fear around that would be that I don't know if we've got the depth to set up consistently as a three at the back team. Mm. And my fear would be that if we start doing that and trying to get in rhythm of playing that way, I think we're still maybe a defender short yeah. of having enough cover in that system. And I know someone like Tanganga can cover and play different roles. Um, but then I also think if we were going to consistently set up as three at the back, then we probably would want a, a more of all-out attacking wing back than, say, Royale. Um, yeah on the right. So like, I'd be interested for us to try it, to, to try it out and see how it goes. Um, if we yeah. did start playing like that, then I'd be like, all right, well, next transfer window, let's try and get in another center back so that we've definitely got cover if we start playing like that. Um, but I, I think would also, it raises I would also good... say that like, um, uh, not to be controversial, cause I know that he's essentially out of the team now. Someone like Doherty probably is the sort of player that you're looking for in that higher, uh, you know, attacking wing back sort of role. Again, not saying that I think that he then walks into that spot, but it would be something totally. interesting to sort of look at, particularly given Nuno um, has worked with him before, obviously, um, where like maybe it's one of those things where his his talent and qualities in that specific area might then negate 
the myriad of issues that we found with him when he was playing uh, deeper as a fullback. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, like he, he had his more, biggest success playing as you know a, a proper wingback um, mm. previously. So, look, I th- it would be interesting to see what we do. I think at the moment, like it makes me feel good that we do have Dyer and Romero. To me, they're probably the ones to to go with, knowing that we also have Sanchez um, to rotate through mm. that team as well. Um, and Sanchez has started off the season really well too. So yeah. I think it's really sol- It's really nice to just know that at the moment we at least have like for the two starting centre backs we've got three three players coming in um, who can all really challenge for that and can hopefully start playing well sort of consistently together and ironing out those mistakes. I think as well someone like Dyer, like you saw it in the Chelsea game, like he was nutting at other players when they were like letting people get through. Um, and then in the with the with Kante's goal, which was unlucky to come off Dyer. Um, and you could argue that Dyer could have gone out to press him, but also where was Hoybier <laughs> on that one? Um, where on Dobley? Where were people pressing? Like you can't let mm. a player shoot from that um, from that sort of range. Um, but I think overall Dyer had a really good game, um, and also like even you know the header that um, Thiago scored. It was against Delhi, and Delhi pulled himself up after the game. And was like, yeah, that was not good enough. And like, yeah, it wasn't Delhi. <laughs> that was yeah. that was really sloppy. I think you pulled the old the old man card on him and thought, look, old mate won't be able to get up and, and head this. So I'm not really, he kind of defended that corner. How, when I would play, I would defend corners. Like I was playing as a forward. So when we have to go back and defend a corner, I'd probably just stand near the player I'm supposed to be marking and kind of just like maybe nudge him a little bit and just hope that the, I wouldn't jump. And I just like, would hope the ball just doesn't go to him. And I think that's why part of me is like, I see what you're doing, Delhi. Yeah, I res- sort of, I respect sort of uh, inspired by the secret or something like that. It's all, yeah, it's all it's- manifestation. <laughs> like you're like putting that energy out into the universe. Like don't cross the ball to the guy in front of me. Please don't do it. Yeah, it's going to go somewhere else. It's fine. Yeah. You know, you won't get picked up on. But then no, it, it, it ended up that way. So um, like overall, like, you know, we I don't we weren't horribly defensively for, throughout the game, which is why I think that we can praise um, like Dyer and, and Romero overall mm. because like one goal was from a set piece, one was from a deflection. Um, and then the other one was, I mean, it's their goal at that stage, so like, who cares? Um, so yeah, I thought it was just important for us to just, um, you know, speak positively about the defense. I think as well, um, uh, Rudiger, that was the third one. Um, mm. uh, I thought uh, Loris as well. He made a couple of good saves. Um, yeah. The, yes. Was it the Rudiger goal? One of them felt like a bit of a howler from memory. I was kind of like, oof. Um, but I think I, it was I, the the Rudiger one he probably could have done a bit better with, mm. um, but I also think at that stage it's like oh look it's it's two nil that's made it three, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I probably have to watch it again. But it could have been a mistake from from Hugo there. But um, up until that point, at least I thought there were a couple of key saves that he made to sort of keep us yeah. in in contention of that. So um, yeah, I guess before we move on to rules, it's just sort of finalizing that like yeah look. It wasn't a great result at the end of the day, but I don't think 3-0 really tells the full story of the game compared no, yeah. to, say, the Palace game the week before. And it was the, it was the can, best half of football we've played in, like, six months. Definitely. We can take a lot of positives out of that performance. Yeah. Um, moving forward, if we keep trying to play like that, I'll be very happy. And I think we will come up against other teams who are not as well-oiled as Chelsea 
Um, if you also yeah. look at appearances, like most of Chelsea's players are like have a hundred plus appearances for the team. Whereas our defense, we have two defenders who are making their first and second appearance for the club. Re- Reggie's only made like like 30, 40 games. Um, Dyer and Dyer Son and Kane and Deli, like they're really the only ones who have got like hundreds of games for us. So I think that as we keep going, we will start actually getting this team playing with an identity. And mm. I think that was what was kind of missing against both games this week, Ren and Chelsea, that it just feels like we haven't got into our pattern and gotten our identity yet. That will come in time. Um, we just need to have some yeah. patience around that because once we do get into that flow, we do have and we do have some decent players um, who, you know, will be able to actually challenge these these teams and like if we play like if we can get into a system playing like we did first half like we'll definitely finish fourth yeah no i mean this is the this is the point in the film where nuno's got to you know have a post-match sort of chat with them where he's talking about the identity of the team and that sort of thing and they're out there as individuals but they need to find a way to get through their differences and come together and and play like a team and that sort of thing like this is this is where we are like it's, it's that part of the season where it's like ooh, we won three now we've lost two and like we're not looking spectacular um they, they they need to find their identity out there they need to start playing for themselves and each other definitely definitely so it's great look i love that we can be so positive after a three nil loss and um <laughs> but it's so much better than just doing the like actually looking at it like that rather than just you know just going online and just being like oh i told you so the transfers were rubbish this was rubbish it's yeah, this person's totally. fault this is that everything else oh we're bit we're in the bin as a club we're a tin pot take all this sort of stuff and it's just like Come on now, like have a <laughs> have a look at this. Like that's why I think that you know on this podcast, especially we don't often talk like real deep tactical things. Mm. Um, even the way I said that didn't sound convincing. <laughs> it's like we we don't talk it's like, like a, you, you were reading enough an auto cue or something like that. <laughs> yeah, an auto cue that like a, a, an intern had just typed up and got <laughs> all these mistakes in. Um, but I mean, like we don't really get into the tactics, like in terms of like. Um, talking about like, you know, XG and stats and like talking yep. about particular styles to a really intricate level. But I think it is important to like, you know, when you do go off and you do read these articles like this one from Michael Cox after the game, which does actually go, hey, here's a look at this tactically from like someone who is a professional at analyzing games. Um, here's actually what happened from that. And then you can look at it and go, oh, okay, now I see what happened in the game. It wasn't just a, ch- a case of, oh, we're lazy. We didn't want it oh, we mm. suck, we, we're problematic, um, all that sort of stuff. So um, I think it's always nice to do those things and you know it just gives you a nice sort of grounding for like, okay, cool, wasn't a great game, but there were a lot of positives that we can take through uh, into the game against Wolves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, so the EFL Cup, a, uh, an exciting venture for Tottenham year after year. <laughs> Sort of feels uh, a bit like deja vu, really, of being like, well, I mean, if we're after some silverware this year, I mean, is, is it the EFL Cup that we're sort of <laughs> pointing our hearts at? That's, look, we've already won our first uh, title, haven't we, for the, the Mind the mind <laughs> Trophy? Yeah. We got a title, so we've we got one in the bag. So let's go for Absolutely. the double. Let's go for the double <laughs> this season and try and get the EFL Cup. Um, <laughs> the EFL Cup, sorry. Mm. Uh Against Wolves, it's like I feel we're too soon to be playing them again. Um, I know. My worry about this game is uh, Wolves not being an easy team to play, and then us having to play Arsenal 
And I really think that the Arsenal game now, given that we've lost it's two very London derbies in a row, 3-0, yeah. um, and also Arsenal have had a little resurgence, and we are going to seem like a bunch of idiots given how much crap we gave to Arsenal at the start of the season when they All had the mind no the points. gap talk, yeah. If they beat us 2-0, they will go above <laughs> us. <laughs> yes. Then- I mean, the good, the good thing is, the good thing I would say is I do fundamentally think that they're a garbage team at the moment. Like, they really, they haven't got much to celebrate. And I think, who did they, who did they beat? Like, Norwich and, was it Burnley they played on the weekend? Or I think so, yeah. Um, the, it's definitely Norwich the first one. Yeah. They're not, <laughs> they're not, not anything to write home about. I mean, I know, I know I'm saying this to set us up for a catastrophic, like, you know, <laughs> 1-0 last minute loss and that sort of thing. Um but I'm not, I'm not as concerned about Arsenal in some way. But I think it's very important that we win, which means that I think we need to rest some players for this third round of the EFL Cup, um, or whatever, however the, the rounds work. Um, but then the concern is, are Wolverhampton going to be like, well, this is important to us. We need to be in this cup. And do they play like a... Uh, a prominent team against us and do we play the kids and do they maybe get the better of us? Oh, definitely they will. Like they're, they're going to go for it much more than I think we might. And I guess this is where our problem lies in mm. that if we try and play some of the kids and we go out of this game, then that's all right. That's a slide of like three losses and a draw. Um, yeah. The ring game. Um, three losses ish in a in a row. Three losses against uh, English opposition, um, in a row would be a would be quite detrimental mentally. I think going into the North London derby. Yep. But do we want to exert ourselves too much and really go after this cup game, knowing that we have to play Arsenal in a few da- a few days later? I almost yeah. think that it's worth us really going for it in this game and making sure that we get through at this stage, at least to sort of, because I think it's a, now it's a more pivotal point of the season where if we get another couple of losses happening, then that starts becoming a little bit of a slide. And mentally, I think that can become very challenging to sort of break out of. Mm. And it almost feels like now it's like, we really need to try and snap out of that as fast as we can um, and get this confidence um, happening again, because I'm sure players will take some confidence from the Chelsea game from the first half, but also we lost the game 3-0. So I think it would be naive to say that they're going to be feeling incredible after that game. Yeah. Um, but they might, hopefully they can see the positive, the positivity from it and where that's leading. Um, I just kind of hope that we go for it a little bit more. Yeah, no, I, I, I can definitely see the point there. I also think that there's a, a realm in which we have a lot of our first string players on the bench. Um, I mean, in that I'm thinking like we could even look at starting someone like a, like Scarlet or someone like that. Like we could like in some ways play the kids in certain positions with the idea that like we see how we go and if we need to bring on two players in the 60th minute, then maybe Kane and someone else are coming on and we're just going to really throw it to them in the last half hour. Um, I think I'd be comfortable with that as well. And also comfortable knowing that with our like midfield, for example, Players like Ali and Huibier, um, they probably can play against Chelsea on, on the weekend, go to Wolves, and then go to Arsenal, and probably still have it in the tank, particularly this early stage of the season. Um, so I think we've got some players that will be able to just like 
deal with it and then other players that we can have on hand if we need them but also happy to um let others play in their stead um should we be playing well enough yeah see i i feel like almost i agree like you know delian hoiberg they've got enough in the tank now to go and do this but yes i feel like last season we what we saw with hoiberg was like as the season went on he started fading because he was just so exhausted and he played so much football and I think in the past we have been guilty as a club, um, and it's, it, this is extremely um, true under Pochettino. Like, <laughs> and like the manager we've loved the most, he did this to what I think was just a crazy level that Kane would never get rested. Um, mm. He'd have favourites who would never get rested, like Delhi never got rested, mm. um, and I think it resulted in some tiredness. Like, we need to start looking at this as like an overall season of what we're really going for here. Yeah, of and course. we've got a lot of games to play. And someone like who is so crucial, like a Hobier to us, like I would just hate for us to sort of run him into the ground early again. Yeah. Um, like this, this to me is like, yeah, maybe we can find like a combination team of this. Like Skip yeah. should be playing in this game, I think. I agree. I'm, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I agree. Brian should get another start in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got like think- Sanchez and Rodon. I probably wouldn't go both of them in this game, no. but I would definitely bring in. Say Sanchez. I would probably go Sanchez Dyer, to be honest. Um, yeah. and, and and then with an idea that maybe Romero is starting with whoever's feeling most up to it um, against Arsenal. Because um, I think Romero, it is fundamentally like it'd be his second game to start. And I do I do think like maybe a, a little more time might be handy for him. Um, but yeah, definitely skip through the middle, um, I think is good. And I think Ndombele probably for his fitness needs a rest as well. Because <laughs> um, I would love to see him playing against Arsenal. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, yeah. So I, I guess that's probably where we're sitting. It's like, hmm. let's kind of go for it a little bit, but also let's hold back a bit and let's be smart about yeah. not I sort of th- running plays into the ground too much. Lucas and um, Bergwijn are also two players to consider in terms of when they're coming back. Um, I'm not sure. Are you familiar with like when like injuries, injury-wise, I mean, Bergwijn and that sort of thing? Because it looks like I've it, got it no might idea. be... Uh, no, I've got no idea what they're... What they're doing. Yeah. If they if they are back and they can play half a game or something, then sure, let's give them a run in this. But well, also, I, I, let's not yeah. aggravate anything. <laughs> no, no, of course. But if if they were back and feeling okay, then I would be very comfortable with say like, you know, even like Lucas starting against Wolves and trying to use his pace to like knock them out, and then even Bergwijn playing in Lacelso Celso, role um, against Arsenal and then maybe then you you move Lo Celso in for this game and have him in like a sort of creative attacking role in midfield basically I think like the if we get players back from injury mm. <laughs> we can look at the 11 that we had against Chelsea that I think worked very well and then like just wiggle them around a little bit and I think there's a happy there's almost like a um, not a half-strength team, but like a you can almost split that team into two in some regards, and that's probably enough for Wolves and also for Arsenal. Um, I think there is, I think mathematically there is a formula that exists for that um, that doesn't stress me out too much, and then doesn't mean that some players are just like completely run into the ground. Um, can Nuno find that formula? I guess we'll see. Um, I just love the idea. That there's maybe someone at the club who's just written this like app for them that's like. <laughs> Hey, you just put the players in. It will spit out who should yeah. be playing, and um, they're, they're writing. They're writing it on whiteboards around around the training facilities, and they're just waiting for a janitor to come across and like <laughs> yeah. solve for the formula, and then get invited on as like an assistant manager or something like that. 
Yeah, that'd be that. <laughs> that'd be amazing. Like, look, I'm sure it's happened at some stage. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. But also, I'm sure the sports science is like it's a lot more advanced than what we think it is. <laughs> like with how they yeah. how they work all these things out. Um, and I, we know as well that like uh, you know Jose's famously not sports science, and he like when he went into Man U, he's like, yeah, get rid of all that. Don't need that. Um, but to my understanding, Nuno's a bit more back on board um, with all those sorts of things. So, yeah, look, we can put together two decent enough teams. Um, I think North London Derby, let's put together like our A team for that. Yep. And then who we think needs a rest, rest them for the Wolves game um, to make sure that they're good to go for that. Completely. I do think also just very quickly on the uh, on the sports science thing. I remember reading an article, I think it was through The Athletic, about sports science and how it's utilised by Liverpool. And the article very early on essentially is like the two early adopters of like the um, uh, not quite Moneyball, but like Moneyball-esque, like really advanced sports science metrics and like algorithm-driven stuff yeah. in the Premier League were Liverpool and Tottenham. Um, and so these two clubs were like started really throwing a lot of this um, at the wall to be like, how do we fundamentally change our approach to building these teams? Um, and then ultimately Tottenham were like, maybe not for us. Uh, <laughs> and then Liverpool beat us in the Champions League final and then they won the title. <laughs> and I think it's, it's a lovely sliding doors moment that like the two teams in the Premier League that were like really like diving into this at the same time with Liverpool and Tottenham, Tottenham went one way and then like just watched as Liverpool, um, you know, really, really cleaned up there. <laughs> oh, totally. What do they say? It's always the bridesmaid, never the bride. That's always us. Well, <laughs> it's, yes, yes. We're always kind of... Um, scribbled under to dare is to do. <laughs> yeah, it always seems to happen to us. <laughs> um, well, it's a bit spursy, isn't it? It, look, it is. It is. It sums up. It sums up. Um, okay, I think before we before we finish up uh, for the Chelsea game, we do need to uh, give our votes for the ever pre- prestigious uh, Bitspursy medal. Yes. Um, which, again, we actually haven't tallied up what we voted on so far, which I kind of don't <laughs> mind because we're not then trying to go like, oh, a player we like has this many votes. Uh, let's keep voting for them. Um, so, are you, are you going to go back retroactively, like at the end of the season, and then tally them all in like one feverish night, where you sort of find out, where you find out that for some reason that like Tom Carroll has has has, has been like mistakenly granted like sixty thousand votes, and is is he the winner of the medal? Uh, look. That would be an interesting way to do it. Um, <laughs> a part of me wants to do it that way, where it's like we don't actually check and then we just tally it up at the end because yeah. um, maybe we just need to dedicate one episode basically to going through all the Abitspursy medal votes. It would be interesting yeah, to do it fun. that way. Um, but then who knows? Maybe in a week or two, we might be like, screw that. We want to know who's winning. We want to know... Yeah. No, well, it could be fun. It could, could be fun to get like a like a nice like sort of mid season area where like it's just the votes, and then you can come in and be like, okay, looking back at this, we are saying that Eric Dyer is fundamentally the best player at this club, <laughs> yeah. and now we're at the mid season point. We have to say we were completely wrong, <laughs> and there can be a nice bit of a you know adjustment through like negative points. Where you're like, no, that was that was naive. This is hindsight, hindsight, and just sort of like lower them back down. See, that's the problem though, Jackson. I don't want to react emotionally when I'm giving out my <laughs> votes to it. I'm trying to make Fair this enough. and also to even suggest that here on this show that we would we would consider doing something so unprofessional as that 
So like bringing the you know the metal system into disrepute, Jackson, is just <laughs> it's frankly insulting to be honest with you. <laughs> right? This is a, this is a very like you know impressively conceived uh, award we have here, and uh, you know we're we're not taking the piss on it. All right? It's uh, yes, well, very good. I'm glad. It's uh, I'm, I'm glad to be up, upholding the integrity of this. Uh, yeah, keep let's this, keep this, the integrity going. Let's keep final the award. Going. Um, <laughs> we can't suggest it's ridiculous. Uh, okay, so. <laughs> Uh, would you like to go first with your bit spacing metal votes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so three points um, this week from me. Um, might not be surprising. I feel like I'm coming out to bathroom a lot. Um, but I actually chucked them to Ndombele. Um I just think I, uh, we were talking last week about, you know, who's a more important player for Tottenham, Sun or Kane and that sort of thing. But there are flashes of Ndombele where I think he can be our most important player. And I think he's starting to find the form, um, not for the whole match, as you say, but he's providing something that currently no one else is, and it's really critical to our game. Um, and so I think, he, I know he didn't have a perfect game, um, but also, it, you know, even across the week, it was a 2 all draw and then a 3-0 loss. Um, but I think the most promising flashes I saw were from Ndombele. Um, so he gets, he gets my three. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I just love it. It's like, and now the struggle to get, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, look, I mean, legally, I, legally you can just sit on giving out a three votes and just like, no, 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 no. I've got, and I've, abstain I've got, from any of the others. If that's what you want to do. <laughs> no, no, no. I've got some more, um, two votes. I'm thrown to Romero. Um, I think a really difficult debut. Um, and I think he did like a, uh, reasonably like impressive job given that it was his first match against, uh, Chelsea, who I think I agree with you will probably win the league. Um, and then had some really nice moments of like, not only like sort of, um, structural, like good structural work, uh, where he was up, upholding the line and that sort of thing, but also just like nice individual moments where we're seeing that, um, you know, the, the whole, like, the, the cat and dog metaphor for centre-backs, where it's like you want a dog that's going to go out and attack everything, and then a cat who's going to be really graceful and just sit back and, like, um, wait on that. And with Romero being classified as, like, as like one of those dog players. And I think that there is a hint of that. W- without him, like, you know, running in and sliding studs up into someone <laughs> and getting a red card and giving a penalty. Um, so well, to my knowledge exciting. as well, to my, he's, like, the most dog-type player. Yeah, um, which I think is good for us because i think we've been you know i I think sometimes we're a bit polite uh defensively um and it's why i you know loved what tanganga did the week prior um it's why i i my heart still beats for eric lamella (laughs) that willingness to like when you need to throw everything you have at someone i think that's very exciting and something that we need as a team oh definitely Um, i was just gonna say on on romero there were a couple of times in the chelsea game where he you're watching and like Chelsea out in midfield and Romero's just up there pressuring and he's like, Romero, what are you doing? But not yeah. in a bad way. It was like a cheeky, no. like, Romero, naughty boy, get back. <laughs> like, get back. Yeah. What I, are you doing? But I, I it, it is something we like to see that we've got like a real sort of high energy sort of defender who's really going to go after it. He will definitely get caught out at some stage. But yes. the trade-off there is that we've got someone who is like pressing a lot and it's it's exciting to see how that works out. So... Um, yeah, no, I think Val there for two votes for Romero. Completely. Um, Dyer, he gets my, um, my, my one vote. Um, I mean, like I, I, do I want 
our one of our best center backs to be Eric Dyer? No. Do I love what he's done for the club during his time? Like, I think he's been this figure that stayed with us, uh, and I, I I have a lot of respect for him for that. And I think he's really lifted his game this season. Um, so you know, as, as one points go, like that's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think it's I, I think he's very very deserving of that, and I think he's um, even just in the set pieces and that sort of thing, he seems to be improving. Um, I don't trust him 100% yet. And like, can I imagine him completely sliding back into mediocrity? Can, yes, absolutely. But for the time being, um, I am very, very happy to give him one vote. Yeah, I think Dyer's playing a bit more within himself now. Um, and he's he's still, well, one or two times where he did try and push forward a little bit. And he's, I'd say he's got a better pass than pretty much all of our other defenders. Um, but... Mm. Yeah, I think he's now, he's maybe sort of realizing like what his body can do and is sort of trying to play more within that. So maybe some of his experience is coming into it a little bit. Hmm. Um, but like you say, that could sort of turn around. Um, but I like Dyer, like, you know, and I like him as a person as well. So um, I think he, you know, he speaks very well and is a smart dude. So um, hmm. yeah, it's nice to see him doing well. So one vote for Dyer from you. Yeah. Uh, and then rolling into the honourable mentions and negative points. Um, this is sort of like a combination thing. Um, so I have Nuno for an honourable uh, uh, honorable mention um, for finding the right 11 for us to play Chelsea. I really think that, uh, 11, that the formation that he uh, picked and the 11 players on the pitch was really exciting. Um, and um, I think if we start gravitating towards that style of play, I think that is good. I think it means very good things for Tottenham Hotspur this season. Um, I am also going to give negative, uh, negative half point to Nuno. <laughs> um, so, I, so in one hand I give it, and in the other hand I take it away um, uh, for the over defensive style that he's sort of bringing to Tottenham. And I do take your point that like that first thirty five minutes is probably what he actually wants to be playing. And I think that's exciting. Um, but a lot of what we have played so far has been overly defensive. And then in particular, when other managers are finding tactical changes and fixes against how we're playing, Nuno doesn't seem to have, uh, at least to this point, the, um, the strategy to, to then counter that, be it substitutions or otherwise. Uh, it's sort of like once he gets found out by another manager, he seems to get a bit stuck and then we kind of get overrun. Um, so there ends up being zero points for Nuno. Um, but I think it's important that he gets a mention on the way up and then he gets taken away as well. No, no, totally, totally. And like, we're, we're all up for anything ridiculous here. So that's, <laughs> that's good. So it's half a point for how he's set up, but then half a point for failing to adjust after, yeah. <laughs> after um, Chelsea started dominating the game, basically. Yeah. Basically, and then and then just uh, one more very quickly, one more negative, uh, a negative point uh, just for Harry Kane. Um, just that second half, I think he sort of essentially stopped playing. Um, and I think we've spoken about Kane, you know, a bunch this episode, but I just think it's not unreasonable for us to expect more from a player who caused <laughs> so much hassle over the off season. Um, I think he just needs he needs to do better. He's the England captain. He's supposedly one of the best players in the world. Um, he needs to do more than he did against Chelsea in that second half. Definitely. So is that a negative one for Kane or a negative half? Uh, that was a negative one. Okay, negative one. For, it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, it's a negative one. Negative one. Great, great. Yeah. Uh, are there any, uh, any other no, negative? No, that's, that's my votes. That's that's where I'm uh, throwing. That's the spaghetti I'm throwing at the wall this week. 
nerds guy, and it's sticking. I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> okay, so my votes: um, three points. I'm going three points to Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Eric died. Like we, like we said, um, I think he was just very very solid again, and a player who often doesn't get enough credit. Um, when he does play well, but people jump down his throat when he doesn't play well. So um, three points, and I think overall throughout the game, pretty solid, did well, and I don't think the loss was really due to his fault or any errors from him. Yeah. Um, two points, I'm also giving to Romero because I thought it was promising to see the the partnership of them starting to, um, you know, how they can start together and see mm-hmm. how they'll play. And I feel like they probably complement each other pretty well with um, Eric and Romero and um, yeah, yeah, I'm really, I thought it was an encouraging display from Romero. And again, I don't think he really made any big sort of glaring, um, glaring errors. Um, I'm not sure exactly who was, fo- I haven't rewatched the, the Rodiger goal. So I'm not sure exactly who was fault at fault for that one. And one of them could have been involved in that, but um, yeah, overall, I think played really well. So two votes there. Uh, I'm giving one vote to Nuno. Mm-hmm. Cause I think, Setting up how we did, that was a really nice breath of fresh air against a really a big team. And I think as well under Jose, we were so used to being so defensive under whenever we played anyone that we perceived to be better than us. Yes. Um, and then it was nice to go, all right, I've got all my boys back. Let's see what we can do. Let's kind of set mm. up and go for it a little bit more. Um, so I think that, that has to be applauded. And if this is actually how he wants us to play, which I think in his post-match interview, this is what he was kind of hinting towards, like the first match. Sorry, the first half was very good and it was in line with what he wanted. Then I'd say that's really exciting to, to see what we can do there. So he's getting a one point there. Um, I'm going to give a encouragement uh, half a point to uh, Royale. Um, mm-hmm. I think as well, like uh, he just, to me, he was just, uh, did, did a pretty decent job. Uh, not outstanding, but again, coming into a new league, um, I think he actually looked at, he looked decent and, um, I wasn't really too worried for most of the game when, like, when he was involved and, um, that sounds quite negative how I'm saying it, but I mean, like, it can be a big well, jump. It's, it's encouragement, you know? <laughs> it's encouragement. It also can be a big jump to go from, like, you know, a league that doesn't play as quickly as the Premier League, um, to just come in and start, you know, playing against, like, a Crystal Palace with Zahab, playing against Chelsea, like, who have a, a, a huge amount of attacking threat on the break. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, I'll give him half. Uh, minus points. I'm taking one point away from Delhi Because uh, yeah. it's like, you should, like, I know, look, you did well because you, like, owned up to the mistake afterwards and said it was your fault. Uh, but also, that was pretty sloppy defending. And that kind yeah. of op- opened up the floodgates for them. I know Chelsea was starting to overrun the game a bit anyway. But it's always disappointing, I think, that when another team starts to open up and, and like I said, open up and run the game, that you then give away a goal from a set piece because it just feels like, oh, okay, just, yeah. they've already got the momentum. Now they got this set piece goal, which we really shouldn't have conceded. And then it just feels a bit like yuck as opposed to if they just score some like incredible effort when you're like, well, all right, yeah. fair play. Well, it's, it's undeniable then. And you're kind of like, well... There's the build-up, there's the goal, what can you do about it? And I think as well, Definitely. we've been haunted by set pieces for the last year as well. So anything we can do to clean that up will go a long way. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, so he's got a minus one. I'm also giving a minus one to Kane because I'm like, like you said, you caused so much fuss over the summer. Let's let's start having some... Let's start having some big games. <laughs> let's, mm. <laughs> let's start making that fuss worth it. Let's, um, yeah. you know, 
You had a little extended break. You missed a few games there. Now it's time to start get, start doing work. All right, let's, <laughs> let's do some damn work, Harry, and and start really stepping up and proving that you are worth as much as you think you are and that you are one of the best players in the world. Um, mm. So let's, uh, let's go with that. I'm also going to give one little extra encouragement vote to... This feels really weird, um, but to uh, Thomas Tuchel. Um, <laughs> no, look, I think credit where credit's due, right? Because sure, he because- strangled us in the second half. Like he 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 realized exactly what he needed to do to shut down what was genuinely a very good attacking performance, spearheaded by Son and Kane. Like Definitely. we we could have done some damage if he didn't do what he did. We probably, I think, would have won the game. I mean, maybe we would have got tired. It would have been like nil or whatever. But like, I think a goal was coming um, had he not done that. Definitely. And look, to give him like, he's not going to go on the 3-2-1. All right, let's be clear here. <laughs> all right, this is a Spurs podcast. He's not going to go on the 3-2-1. the encouragement, I mean, there's footage of him at about 30, 33rd, 35th minute communicating mm-hmm. to Azpilicueta and going like, Oi, get Mount back in midfield. We need to go back to three in midfield to contain this. Mm-hmm. And then not afraid to make a change at halftime. Um, and go, right, we're bringing on Kante for Mount. And um, I think it, it was just like, it just showed a really, it was just a really wise move. And like you said, we didn't really have an answer for that once that happened. We didn't have a way to combat that, to go, yeah. all right, well, if what if they do do this? What do we do? So, it would be It would be so appropriate if over the course of this season, there is so much, you know, negative... <laughs> <laughs> negative points given to the various Tottenham Hotspur players that everyone ends up in the negative area except for Thomas Tuchel. And then by default, with, with half a point, you have to award him the a bit Spursy medal. See, this is why it's good not to check the tally as we go through. <laughs> like, and we'll, We only play Chelsea twice. so Yeah, that's true. Everyone else would have to have a stinker of a season to drop all their points to get yeah, below. It's possible though. It's possible aggressively. though. But yeah. um, I think, look, we want to be balanced on this podcast and it's if we see a really nice thing that's, that happens, well, not a really nice thing, but a smart move that's made in the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's fair. Let's, let's go for Celebrated. that. Celebrate yeah, it. Yeah, I feel weird now not giving Ndombele anything. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I think like I want Ndombele just to work for it a little bit more. So um, yeah. Again, this is not to just call him like, oh, he's a lazy player. It's not that sort of no. argument, but just like, all right, Dumbledore, let's 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 go next week. All right, I'm I've got three points next week that I really want to give to Tangy. Yeah, I'm 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 on the hype train. I I understand that. I I, I make no apologies, but I understand that that's that's where I'm situated. Is that I'm I'm driving that train. I'm I'm all about Dumbledore. I think this is the this is the time. Um, but it means I'm I'm wearing those rose tinted glasses, so I, I understand your hesitancy. Well, it's just like like we talked about his cycle before. Like, yeah, I don't want him to get ahead of himself, hearing that he's got some points for the bit Spursy medal, and then he's like, "Well, you know what? I'm back into the ego mode where yeah. I think I'm, I'm going bigger to, than I'm the going club. to Barcelona. Yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, I want him to be tuning in and listening, which I'm sure they play this at the training ground before each each session. Um, I want him to be thinking, you know what? I haven't got a point yet for the bit Spursy medal. Um, I think I'm I'm really going to try and put in, and and see what I can do there. So. It's dangling the carrot to a non-existent horse, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. So uh, we'll, we'll be back next week um, after the Arsenal game, after the Wolves game. Hopefully, two wins on the trot. That would be great. That um, would be heaven. That would be heaven. That was so good to bounce back there. And 
Yeah, I think, look, the, the North London derby, it's on at 1.15, 1.30, 45, something like that. I think 1.30, I think, yeah. 1.30. You have to stay out and watch the North London derby. Um, you must. We kind of want to stay out and watch every game, but um, <laughs> it's always one that when we lose that one, that one I think is it really hurts. Like as much as we dislike Chelsea, whenever mm. we lose to Arsenal – that really feels like the wind's been like taken out of our sails, though. Yeah. Well, the rivalry with Chelsea, I think, is almost more important at the moment. But it's whenever they win, it's like, God, Chelsea's so good. And also, they got they've got a billionaire that buys them all the players. Ah. But losing to Arsenal is like they're not even that good. And now we're gonna have to hear about it for like every second of the day until they they lose to someone else. Um, totally. Like you lose they, against yeah. Chelsea, and it's like playing someone on a video game where they've got cheat codes. And like, well, they got cheat codes, so yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Like, um, I did what I could. <laughs> <laughs> they got Kante. I mean, come on. It's fine. Um, but yeah, I also think in terms of like just like uh, building the team and that sort of thing, like a passionate, like, you know, Danny Rose style, uh, like goal from someone can make them a Tottenham player uh, for life to the point where the club is trying to get rid of them. And they're like, no, <laughs> I'm Tottenham till I die. <laughs> you won't get rid of me. Um, and I think this, like, a strong performance against Arsenal and just like putting them in the dirt might actually rally this team together together and give them something to really play for. So I think I think it's actually a hugely important game against an Arsenal team that I think isn't that impressive. And I think we we deserve by right to win like 3-0 and put them in the absolute dirt. But knowing North London derbies, I think it's going to be a bit more complicated than that. Wait, what did you say? Um, three, win 3-0 and put them in the what? In the dirt. <laughs> oh, I think you said put them in the burt. And I was like, that's a cool saying that I haven't heard before. No, in the dirt. We're going to put the them dirt. in the burt this week. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I think uh, mentality-wise, spiritually as a team, this could actually be a very good rallying point and we deserve to win it. And I'm going to be just crushed if we lose. Yeah, our group chat will be... There'll be a lot of emotions going <laughs> off through that throughout the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, hopefully we can win. And I think the positive signs are there. So let's let's keep on that train and see what we can do. So thank you for tuning in this week. And, yeah, we'll be back next week uh, for more A Bit Spursy. You've been listening to A Bit Spursy. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Email us at hello at abitspursy.com and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms.